It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. Who wants to talk sports on a Thursday? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host broadcasting from left field, John Riley. We welcome you to Hacksaw's Headlines from our Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center studios in San Diego as we head towards a great sports weekend. Absolute ton of topics on the table. We've got a couple of business items that we want to address. Our podcast is brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center. There or nine stores to serve you in San Diego, regardless of what the project is, they can consult with you, give you the products you need, Dixie Line Lumber. And by North County Eye Center of Poway and Escondido, we are all going to need help and advice with our eyes. If not today, down road, when that time comes, think North County Eye Center, Poway and Escondido. John Riley, good afternoon. Boy, we got a lot to talk about, but before we do that, let's just remind everybody who joins us early on our live stream about something that you created. It's <laughs> your fault if the people don't like the comments that your fans have brought to the table. We call this Fans Forum. Yeah, Fans Forum. It's actually one of the more popular segments that we provide when we break this all up into, into little bits on YouTube. So if you want to get involved in Fans Forum, you got a question or a comment on the world of sports, just drop it in, in the live chat, Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, and we'll get you involved. And a reminder, if you like what we're doing, we invite you to join Hacksaw's Insiders Club. It's very simple and it's free. Just go to my website, leehacksawhamilton.com. Fill out the big orange box right there on the homepage. You'll get emails from a wide variety of things that we're offering up. And subscribe. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Therefore, every time we post something, and that happens almost every day of the week, you'll get notification even if it's at 2 a.m. in the morning when we post it. (laughs) John, a lot of topics on the table. Let's talk football ready set go ready set go the nfl combines are getting started here lee so what's the update quarterback scouting derby that's the big story that seems to be flash front and center all these teams at the top of the nfl draft board john have just desperate needs for quarterback caleb williams the usc oklahoma star is there he's not working out not taking part in any of the physical exams but is having meetings whiteboard sessions with teams that want to interview him. This kid had over 11,000 all-purpose yards, 120 touchdowns. I don't know if he's today's version of Lamar Jackson or maybe yesterday's version of Patrick Mahomes, but he is really gifted. That's the number one pick in the draft, probably to the Chicago Bears. The mystery guy is the second name on your board there, Drake May out of North Carolina. Now, he's big. He's 6'5", 230 pounds. He's locked in as a pocket passer, big and physical. They had over 8,000 yards and 63 touchdowns last two years at North Carolina. NFL people say that he may have a little bit of Ben Roethlisberger in him in terms of style. Mm. Move the pocket, strong arm guy. The third guy, I think, is the wild card name, and he's really climbed up the board. I'm talking about Jaden Daniels. Started at Arizona State, went to LSU. His statistics, John, are staggering. He's like a one-man gang. 12,750 all-purpose yards, 89 touchdowns. Actually, 16,000 total yards passing and rushing. Played five years of college football. 
this kid has kind of elevated himself because he's been so productive. I don't know who you compare him with because he's so active running the football, but Jaden Daniels. The next tier of quarterbacks are led by the guys out here on the West Coast, Bo Nix, Oregon. Uh, the, the byword is systems quarterback. Uh, 15,352 yards passing, 113 touchdowns. He was 22-5 and five for two years at Oregon. He's going to have to go to a special team that wants a different type of quarterback. He's not a big-time thrower. He's obviously not a guy that's breaking containment and running very often, but he runs the system and accomplishes a lot. So Bo Nix, I don't know if he's, if he's a top 15 quarterback or somewhere between 15 and 30. His running mate in the Pac-12 is Michael Penix. Is is he a little bit like Michael Vick? A little bit like Tua Tagovailoa? He had 13,000 plus yards uh, at the University of Washington 25-3 and with the Huskies over a two-year run. He's probably at the back end of the first round. And then the one that nobody quite understands yet is J.J. McCarthy. Uh, University of Michigan game manager. Is he a great quarterback or did he just manage what Jim Harbaugh wanted to run? He's 27-1 and one in Ann Arbor as a starter. Uh, but the thing is that McCarthy was supported by a phenomenal running game, had some good wide receivers, and their defense just beat the crap out of people. Hmm. So is it J.J. McCarthy, great quarterback, or J.J. McCarthy just managing things because he had so many good people around him? So that's that's the conversation point all this week uh, as the workouts began today, and they'll go through uh, Sunday and Monday. But the, the top quarterbacks are not working out. Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels are not working out. They are meeting with the team. So... I put through a lot of stats at you. What do you think about the quarterbacks on the board? Well, you had mentioned Caleb Williams. is They're sitting down for whiteboard sessions. It makes me think of when John Gruden used to sit down with the quarterbacks and analyze them yep. and, and kind of their, their football IQ. Now, obviously, Gruden isn't doing that anymore. I'd imagine someone else is. Isn't that part of the combine? Well, the combine, you meet with each individual team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have 20, 30 minutes session. And they'll sit and they'll talk philosophy. They'll talk life. They'll ask ask you about family, education, experiences, good, bad. They'll pull things out of the sky that you don't want to hear about. But they'll also put you on a board and say, this is what we're running. Explain to me what you see when you come to line of scrimmage when you're against that defense. So there is some whiteboard. Now, they will also meet with all these quarterbacks at, at the pro days. USC will have a pro day, and Caleb Williams will throw at the USC pro pro day with the USC wide receivers. That's a really structured environment in which you will run what you want to run. The team doesn't tell you because all the scouts from the different clubs will come to the pro day. Hmm. You know, but at the end of the day, a thirty minute meeting, you're going to do much more evaluation than that. One, you know, a 45-minute throwing session at Pro Day, you're going to do much more evaluation, pal. Just go look at my video. Look at what I did when I went 27-1 and one, uh, at this school. So, you know, Caleb Williams will get quizzed, but the reality is it's on tape. Do they still do the Wonderlick? They do. It's It's got a different name now. I don't think the Wonderlick test is held in as high esteem as it was back in the day because you're doing all these private interviews with guys. It's not like they walk in to the, the Rams training facility and they give them 10 pages of questions in which he's got to check off. It's not like that. The interview process, I think, is much more significant, carries much more clout in addition to the game tapes. Right on. Yeah, all makes sense. So that's what's going on. Combine, 
Draft comes up in April. We'll be talking a lot more about this storyline. We go from that to other people that we're talking to the Combine, John. Yeah, look at here. Some AFC West teams. They got some uh, breaking news. They have one day They have one day with the coaches interview with the media, mass, mass interview. Then a second day, one was Monday, and then on Tuesday, all the general managers sat uh, over the course of the whole day and got questions. I decided it'd be kind of novel to look at the AFC West and just detail what the general managers had to say. Joe Hortiz, uh, the Chargers general manager, he met with everybody. Uh, plain and simply says, we will get below the salary cap. When he was with the Baltimore Ravens as director of player personnel. They constantly were in churn moving people off the roster because of salary cap things. His history is I'd rather get rid of a player a year too early and have that money to use than a year too late and get stuck with dead cap money that kills me. So I think there are going to be some roster moves there. Ortiz says, my whole philosophy in life, based on what he experienced in Baltimore, stockpile assets. Might that mean trade down from number five? I mean, stockpile assets? That Mm -hmm. means building more that you got? Would they take number five of the Chargers and drop back some, maybe as far as 10, get get an additional choice, a second round, maybe a third rounder? Uh, he says, we will continue to be active in terms of free agents. He says, we will draft. Then we will sign a pile of undrafted free agents right after the April draft is completed. Then in June, we'll sign another tier of free agents that will come to camp. Then when roster cuts are made in August, when everybody goes down to 53, we'll probably sign some free agents there. And he says, we will continue to turn the bottom of the roster all season long. And why do you do that? You keep looking for gems. Can I find a guy that didn't get a good look see in somebody else's camp that we always liked his athleticism. Maybe we come in and bingo. Maybe we find somebody really unique. The offensive coordinator, Greg Roman, said, could you imagine what Justin Herbert would be like if the Chargers had a legitimate power run game? Mm-hmm. So that means they're going to they're gonna change some things on the offense to help that quarterback. And the defensive coordinator came out publicly and he just said, plain and simple, Duran James will have a defined role. We're not going to move him all over the field, as Brandon Staley did when suddenly Duran James just became a pedestrian, wasn't making a hell of a lot of plays. So that's what the Chargers general manager said. Tom Telesco, Raiders general manager. Devontae Adams stays. He is our wide receiver. He is a Raider for life. End of conversation. Josh Jacobs, big money running back, had another good season last year. He was late to camp. Team didn't do well early. They're not going to franchise tag him because the dollar value as a second-time franchise tag guy is just through the roof. They're going to try to negotiate a multi-year extension and get this thing done. The good part of that is Josh Jacobs has said, I want to stay here uh, and play for this coach. And and Tom Telesco was just glowing talking about Josh Jacobs. Of course, he saw him twice a year for the last five years (laughs) when the Chargers played the Raiders. Uh, Telesco said he is our top rusher. He's one of the best receiving running backs in the NFL, and nobody pays any attention. He's an exceptional blitz blocker. In terms of the Raider quarterback, uh, they're they're going to do something, I think, in the draft. I think they're tired of renting these guys that sometimes work out, sometimes don't. He says, I want a quarterback who's a leader. I want a quarterback who's a student of the game. I want a quarterback that's accurate throwing the football. And I want a quarterback that's just smart. 
Still to be decided what they do with the veteran wide receiver Hunter Renfro. He's got an $11 million cap number. Kind of got lost under the old coaching staff. Now, if they keep him, they're going to have to pay him a lot of money. But he's still, I think he's still got skill. They just got to find a way to make him fit whatever the new system Antonio Pierce wants to run. Broncos and Kansas City. Let's talk about the Chiefs. Brett Veach, general manager. We will keep our stars. Now, he's got an issue because he's got two big money free agents in the defensive tackle, Chris Jones, the best in the business, and Legereus Sneed, who's made himself a top cornerback. They just franchise tag Legereus Sneed, and that's at 19 mil. Now, I can franchise tag you today, but I can still continue to negotiate a multi-year extension to keep you. I lift the tag, and then I'll work out a deal that doesn't count $19 million against the cap. That's what Kansas City's trying to do with Snead. They've also th- said, if we can't get a multi-year deal with Snead, we'll trade him. We'll find somebody else, and we'll go get assets. Uh, they're they're going to get Chris Jones signed. The price tag on him is going to be about $25 million. And they just started to clear budget space. They just released Marquez Scantling Valdez, 12 million cap space gone, despite what he did in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl. Didn't do very much during the course of the season, two years in a row. So that's the latest out of Kansas City. They got to deal with their top two stars. And in Denver, Sean Payton, quote, we must get the next quarterback decision right. That, in essence, is a shot at the former general manager who's still there, George Payton, who did the Russell Wilson deal. We're waiting for Denver to make the decision to release Russell Wilson. $45 million cap hit when they release him because of the contract George Payton gave Russell Wilson. Uh, and uh, Sean Payton said, we've had no trade offers. Nobody wants $39.7 million of a contract. Uh, one thing he did say is we're going to try to get as many picks as we can. I've been told, they haven't said it, uh, they're shopping the young wide receiver, Jerry Judy, and another big wide receiver, Tim Patrick. Uh, Judy just has never become a superstar. He makes big plays, but he doesn't do it on a Sunday-by-Sunday basis. Patrick has had two bad injuries two years in a row. Still got great upside, but they're going to try to move some of those guys to make a transaction. So, John, that's what's going on in the AFC West and your reaction to the GMs. Yeah, um, just all these different teams. Let's talk about the Raiders because they're the team that doesn't have a quarterback. And where are they in the draft? 13. 13. So if you were to look at some of those top names, obviously Caleb Williams will be gone. I mean, who will be there, do you think, at 13? That's a huge question. I, You know, Bo Nix might be there, systems quarterback. Michael Penix definitely will be there. But who is Michael Penix? Is he, is he Michael Vick? Is he Tua? We don't know. Then that's what film study is all about. J.J. McCarthy. But who is J.J. McCarthy? Big star or just a guy that handed off and threw some safe passes because Harbaugh's team was so great around the quarterback? So I think those guys will all be there at 13. And then, you know, then you can get into the other discussion. Although this goes against the grain of what Telesco said. If Denver blows out Russell Wilson he'd be available for minimal money because Denver's paying the bulk of the contract. You hmm. could get him for the minimal at $1.5 million for the first year. But does that go against the grain of Telesco wanting a quarterback long-range for the future rather than these short-term rentals? Raiders always did short-term deals. Oh, and sometimes they did work out. Rich Gannon was a great quarterback. Jeff Hostetler did a good job for them back in the day. Uh, but more recently, no, not not at all. 
So I'll be fascinated to see what what your Raiders, <laughs> your Raiders, how come you're not wearing Raider gear? Uh, <laughs> your Raiders do a quarterback because they haven't had one. They do have Aiden O'Connell back, and he managed games. He was okay, but is he just a guy? I kind of think well, who so. Who was the last big time quarterback the Raiders drafted? Oh, was it the, was it the kid that. from LSU Jim about Marcus twenty years Russell. ago? Yeah, is that the one? Oh my God, that was terrible. Yeah, and how that, long ago was that? Well, it wasn't. I don't think it was twenty years, but it was a it was a decade ago, and that that was one of the monumental failures of many monumental failures that Al Davis made, always reaching reaching for the. The shiny object. And he was a bum. I mean, he showed up and he was not. This is what I don't understand as it relates to. You're asking a voice of the Chargers and Seahawks not to be critical of the Raiders. Uh, I don't understand with the methodology of evaluating players. And the NFL, they evaluate everything. What does he have for breakfast? How does he dress in public? All that stuff. In addition, can he throw deep and can he throw up and outs and all the passing tree? How they could not investigate that this guy had no work-study habits as a quarterback. He just got got through it on athletic ability at LSU. What kind of evaluation did you do? Because he got to the NFL, and he didn't work at it, and he had no clue about it. I mean, the stuff, uh, the stuff that I saw him throw, he was in the early 2000s, right as I was finishing up doing a Chargers and then the Seahawks. I saw him in games, and he was... He was pitiful in terms of accuracy and decision-making and being late and just running. How do you not see that in your evaluation? What did you study him? I mean, so you know, Raiders historically have, have done a horrible job, modern-day football quarterbacking. Well, I, I bet there's a lot of athletes across all sports that have done that, where they have gotten by because they've been this, this specimen, <laughs> this Adonis, this muscular, beautiful, long— athlete and suddenly they get to a point where they need to have you know a lot between the ears and some of these guys have it and some of them don't oh it's a lot of guys and the quarterback the fatality rate john in quarterbacks in the first round over the last 20 years is spectacular it's How over, many, over and, half oh yeah more than half and see what makes it worse although it's under control now because they have a different structure with the salary cap. But wait, what made it worse in the Jamarcus Russell, Ryan Leaf era mm-hmm. is those guys got mega money and they killed you on the cap if they burned out, failed out, flunked out, got washed out, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Jamarcus Russell and Ryan Leaf. And there's a lot more names I'd have to go through and do research because I don't have them right off the top of my head. But you, you know, first of all, you can't make a mistake on a quarterback at the top of the draft now because it's a quarterback's league. It's not as fatal financially as it used to be. But that's a number one pick if it doesn't work out. What a disaster. Uh, Vince Young, one of the more oh, modern yeah. day meltdowns. You know, great athlete, could do it all in college, but this ain't Texas you're playing anymore. And Vince Young scuffled and struggled. Do you do you have confidence in Caleb Williams and Drake May, some of the top guys on this list? Do you think that they're going to have success? The college guys that I network with on the East Coast say uh, Drake May is just a big, tough, smart guy. He's mm. a football student. That's what he is. He lives in the film room. So I, I got to believe, I mean, we've seen Caleb Williams firsthand, and he's just fanatical. In terms of preparation, just look at the end results, what he did at Oklahoma, what he did at USC. Even at USC, when he had no help at the end of that last season, the whole thing fell apart around him. So, yeah, I, I think it's a different cat now, a different breed of quarterback that we're evaluating. 
Okay. Okay. We, we get to <laughs> halftime. A reminder, our podcast is brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber, Home Center Stores, nine locations to serve you in San Diego, and by North County Eye Center of Poway and Escondido, comprehensive eye care, state-of-the-art technology, North County Eye Center, Poway, Escondido. John, explain to everybody on our live stream about how this works, this being Fans Form. Fans Form. I'll tell you what, the Winnipeg guys, I think, all just rolled in, so they've got a ton of people on the list. Hey, if you got a question or comment for Hacksaw about the NFL combines, the quarterbacks, maybe baseball getting started. You know, just drop your live your uh, take in the live chat on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. And a reminder, join our insiders group. Everybody here in Southern California, we're trying to roll out some kind of unique things to get together with our quote insiders group. But just go to my website, leehacksawhamilton.com. There's a big orange box. Register. We'll put you on the email list. You'll get notifications every day about different things that we're offering. But just do that. And we want you to share, want you to subscribe. Tell all your friends, network with your people about what we're doing on our YouTube channel and subscribe. Therefore, when we put things up on the YouTube channel, which is most every day, you'll get the alert and go from there. John, before we get to, to the the second half. Let's talk about Dixie Line Lumber. We have been with them since almost the beginning. There are nine locations to serve you. Been in business 100 years. I don't care what the project is at home, and you've done a lot of projects in your castle. Uh, What the project is, they take care of it. Yeah, they do. You know, in fact, I was just down at Dixie Line yesterday and we were talking with the representatives from TimberTech and they're the ones that do the composite decking and really cool stuff learning about the product. And it's great here in San Diego with the ocean air, the salt air. It's like low maintenance decking and uh, people here love it in San Diego. You got projects. You can build it. You can fix it. You will enjoy it for 2024. Thanks to these guys, Dixie Line. And our podcast is also brought to you by North County Eye Center of Poway and Escondido. From cataracts to glaucoma to cornea procedures, whether it's just vision test, glasses, or contact lenses, these are the people you should trust. Been in business here serving people since the 1970s. North County Eye Center, Poway, Escondido. And a reminder, when we get done with our live stream, we'll be jumping into Fans Forum. So if you got questions, answers, fire us one. Go to the chat box. Join us in Fans Forum. We talk football. John, let's talk baseball. Yeah, so baseball's going here. I'm not sure to be excited about the Padres or really kind of worried. A little bit of a rocky first week for the Padres. Let's just talk about some of the headlines. we got names in the news. Um, he's had two starts. He hasn't gotten out of the first inning of either one of these starts. One of their aces, Joe Musgrove, is really struggling. He's pitched two-thirds of an inning as a starter, has given up eight runs and eight hits. John, his ERA is 43.50 through the first two starts. Now, he's oh coming God. back from the capsule issue. He has had no arm problems yet that he's alluded to. He is experimenting with a new type of slider. Uh, to take, it's more of a slurve, which is a curveball slider. It's a different type pitch than his money pitch, which was the hard slider, which led to the shoulder capsule problems. Uh, they're just going to continue to work on this new pitch, and we'll see over the next couple of starts whether he can master it. He's had problems with the strike zone and finishing off batters. The second guy, it's a little bit too early, but the fact he had elbow problems that really wiped out the whole second half of last season, relief ace Robert Suarez, he's the one that's replacing Josh Hader. 
In two games, his ERA is 27.00. He's not been able to get the job done his first two outings out of the bullpen. They're not saying there's anything physically wrong with Suarez, and they've still got weeks for him to amp it up. This is kind of hard to believe because everybody said, well, he's done all this in San Diego, did all this in the Dominican during the offseason. He's ready, and this is a clean piece of paper. Last year, of course, he missed the first 20 games because of the PED suspension. Talking about El Nino, Fernando Tatis, but John, he's hitless. He's hitless in four games so far. He's 0 for 7. He, and I, I totally forgot this. Last year in his comeback from the suspension year, he only hit 252. He hit 25 home runs. He only hit 252, which I, I mean, I thought he was in the 280s, but he must have tailed at the end of the season. So I, I just asked the question. This is not Typical Tatis that we're seeing. Manny Machado is hitting only a buck sixty-seven. Of course, he's recovering from the elbow surgery. Don't think he's going to be ready to play third base opening day when the Padres go to South Korea uh, to play the Dodgers. But if he can DH and there seem to be no complications, he's getting good swings, feels good. He's only hitting buck sixty-seven. And then there's the outfield derby. Everybody in the world's competing for an outfield position. They just the uh, Padres just signed another outfielder last night, a journeyman, ex Met, ex Yankee, ex. Cub Tim LaCastro, so he kind of gets thrown into the mix. Oscar Mercado had been with Cleveland, been with the Cardinals, been with the Phillies. He's at two home runs in his first two games. Uh, this guy uh, has got 26 career home runs, like a 267 batting average as a super utility man. If he continues to swing like this, he might be maybe the, the fourth outfielder in the mix. It'd still have to add somebody else. So that's where we are with the Padres. They've you know, they, they still got a couple more weeks of exhibition games before they go to Seoul, South Korea to open the season against the Dodgers. And Padre fan from left field, what does he think? Yeah, I, I'm really concerned. Every one of these guys, there's like some question mark, some worry. You know, Tatis did tail off because he was hitting 280, 290 mm-hmm. when he first got started. And then it faded away like it did for so many of the other players. Um, I'm curious to see, like, I'm loving this Jackson Merrill. He's playing center field, and he kind of went back on a ball into the gap and caught it. I mean, he's a shortstop. He's a first-round draft pick. He should be okay there. But I still think, you know, what about Tommy Pham? Would he be a good addition to this roster? He's out there. But, you know, we've already seen this movie before, and I don't think he's coming to San Diego on a $1 million contract because they don't, they don't have that much money left in their budget. And they may, they may want to save some money, if if they have a decent season and have a chance to rent somebody at the trade deadline. So I think that's what, why they're holding on to what few dollars they have left. But, you know, Tommy Pham did hit 262, did hit, I think, 16 home runs last year. He's been around the block a, a lot of teams. We understand his persona, which can grind on people. But we also <laughs> understand when he was here, he didn't play very well. So are we going to revisit that? But he, he was injured a lot. But he didn't play very well. He yeah. got himself in trouble off the field. So... I, does he make them a great team? No. And and the fact that you got the young kid who might be your starting center fielder, Jackson Merrill, and you got multiples of other young guys that could be insurance policies led by what Mercado has just done in the first 10 days of camp. Maybe you don't need Tommy Pham at this point. Maybe you're better to save the dollars. And Pham wants $5 million. I don't see the Padres giving him $5 million. 
because he hit two twenty six when he was here. Not I didn't as as well as he played in spurts. There was also so much other junk involving him. I I don't know that I'd revisit. Obviously, nobody else in baseball's revisiting him either. Yeah. Well, what do you think about Matt Waldron? You know, he had a nice outing. I mean, do you think he has a shot at making the starting rotation? Everybody needs a fifth guy in the rotation, and he's had actually he's had two good starts. You know, that that's kind of a a hybrid starting pitcher who can throw some velocity and then throws that knuckleball up there. I mean, as a, as a fifth guy in your rotation, okay. But, you know, the Padres, Padres are trying to fill rotation spots three, four, and five with the guys from Yankee Stadium. Michael King has pitched really well. Johnny Brito's had one good outing. Vasquez had one good outing. So, you know, Walden. But those guys don't make you pennant contenders. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so spoiled because we <laughs> sat here last year and we had Darvish and we had Musgrove and we had Cy Young Award winner Blake Snell. And then we had the two guys that were the surprise guys, uh, what Waka and Lugo broke. We don't have anything near that as of this afternoon. Well, we thought back then that um, uh, that Lugo and Waka we weren't sure about, and uh, Snell was always you never really were sure about. They just all turned into really good starting pitchers yes. over the years. So, I, you know, I still think Morhone is a wild card, you know, because that guy was a starter. I mean, you got a ton of money invested in from that 2016 international draft. It would be nice for him to resurrect all that buzz around him when we signed him, and why not Morhone in the starting rotation? He- he could be if he can pitch his way into it and stay healthy. Mm. He has a history of getting hurt. I think the last I, I stopped counting, but the last I'd counted, I think he'd had seven different injuries in six years in the Padre organization, a chunk of that in the lower minor leagues. But maybe uh, maybe he's a better long reliever. Maybe he's not just gifted enough to be a starter. He hadn't done anything with any consistency at all. Yeah, you can throw his name into the mix, but then again, now, now you're telling me we're going to be fine with Waldron and Morion, and I don't see that <laughs> they, as being they have a no left-handers, though, staff. do they? No, they're very shy. Yeah, because Brito and Vasquez and Waldron are all right-handed throwers. Avila, and so is Michael King, and, and so and and Darvish and Musgrove. So it'd be nice. Morahone could maybe find a slot in there. They need. Well, a he's still got the opportunity. He's yeah. still here, but. We're ticking on the clock here. We're talking about a kid that's been here seven years now and hasn't really made much of an impact. Okay, if you're a Padre fan, Fans Forum is open. you got an opinion, let us know what it is. Just pile in, give us a one-sentence question, see what you've got to say. We go from that baseball story to the unsolved baseball story. Yeah, Blake Snell, it's just talking about a lefty. Is, is he going to go to the Yankees? Well, the Yankees are back in the mix. I talked to an agent uh, who kind of gave me the background. You know, the, he's represented by Scott Boris. <laughs> the asking price at one point was seven years, $210 million. Most people don't think he's a $30 million a year starter, and most people don't want a guy that pitches five innings, and that's all he pitches, 5.8 innings per start, for seven years at that price. Now, Angels are still in it. Limited offer. I was told three years 90 mil total. Giants, I'm told, might have the same offer, three years, 90 mil. Both Giants and Angels have money to offer, but neither one of them are good teams. So Snell goes in and probably wants to be in the lead pitcher on both those teams. It probably won't be in the playoffs. Um, Yankees are back in it, and there's been multiple layers. I asked an agent to describe to me why this wouldn't work at Yankee Stadium. Well, the Yankees are over the luxury tax three years in a row. Mm. They sign him. They're over a fourth year. 
And the penalties are phenomenal as a fourth-year offender in the luxury tax. You sign Blake Snell, pushes you over that fourth limit, 110% tax. So if you pay wow. him 30 mil, John, you have to pay a 33 million tax to get him on your roster oh my at 30 God. mil. That's because they've been over the, the luxury tax limit three straight years. This would be their fourth year in a row. In addition, you give up draft picks by signing Blake Snell. That's an issue. And then the agent is asking for opt-out clauses. Now, that's not going to work. If I'm the Yankees, I am not going over the tax, having to pay this huge luxury tax, give up draft picks, and allow him to opt out after the second year? What Hmm. kind of investment is that? That's why Snell is not yet signed with anybody, just because some of the clubs are over the tax limit, and they're going to have to pay a mega tax if they do it, and you're going to forfeit tax, and you're going to give them an opt-out? No. Now, if I'm the Angels and Giants, Scott Boris says three years, 30 mil per, opt out after years one and two. You're giving up a draft pick, but you do have the budget space. And if he has a good season, maybe you still keep him. If he opts out, he opts out. But you do lose the draft choices uh, if you sign Blake Snell. So that's, that's an issue as to why he's not signed yet. It's just not the dollar value, but to the impact of the dollar value on everything else with your budget, your payroll, your draft choices, your international money, etc. It's kind of like when the Padres signed Morajone. They had to pay a 100% luxury tax yes. on that. Um, but did, is Tony Clark squawking about any of this, the Players Association? Because this is limiting his top guys. It's limiting their opportunity. No, because they agree to the CBA, and these are all components of the CBA. To get certain things, like mm-hmm. we're never going to have uh, are never going to have a salary cap. You got to give up certain things along the way in the course of negotiations. Now, there's no whining here. It's just a case of there's not a lot of people want to pay that left-handed pitcher 30 mil per year and then forfeit all the other things they would have to forfeit to get him in the front door. We'll see if the price tag comes down. Uh, the Red Sox are no longer in the Snell era uh, bidding, but they are in on the bidding on Jordan Montgomery. But they want his price tag to come down to maybe 20. Or 25. Montgomery obviously has reinvented himself last year with the World Series Texas Rangers, but not a candidate in Texas from what I gather because the Rangers have spent all their money and they're they're not going way over the the tax for him again on on a short-term deal. So that's the latest uh, in baseball. On we go. Basketball. NBA, okay. Cool. I mean, this is NBA basketball so much different than college, isn't it, Lee? NBA different. Basketball is different now than it was three years ago, eight years ago, 20 years ago. Nice headline. NBA, all offense, no defense. So how do you view an NBA game? Do you go view it just to see the athletes? And there are phenomenal athletes You talk about speed. You talk about athleticism. You talk about jumping ability. You talk about wide variety of skill. Do you go see the NBA just to see French pastry, all those great skill guys? Or would you like to see some type of defensive commitment at the other end of the floor? I'll say this. The whole world, except you and me, can shoot three-pointers now. It's amazing, John. (laughs) That's true. I mean, and the three-point basket has just changed the game. And the three-point basket allows you to get back in a game. Uh, Offenses. As of today, NBA teams are averaging 115 points a game. It's an all-time record high going back to when they first started keeping records, I guess, in the 50s. 115 per game. Defenses. Defense is optional. (laughs) Defenses in the league, 
giving up 119 a game. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's just absolutely amazing. Wow. Indiana's the top-scoring team in the NBA, 123 points per game. Washington is the absolute worst defensive team in the league, 124 points per game. We've had eight teams this season, John, in a game, score 150 points or more. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it's just phenomenal. Indiana beat Atlanta 157-152. Boston beat Indiana 155-104. Utah beat the Pistons. Everybody beats the Pistons. 154 to 148. We've had games. Luka Doncic scored 73 in one game. Joel Embiid, before he got hurt in Philadelphia, scored 70. Giannis in Milwaukee had 64. Devin Booker in Phoenix had 62. Doncic leads the NBA 34 points per game. Shea Alexander 31. Giannis 30. The league has never had three Guys average over 30 in any one given season. I know you like French pastry. So do you like offense, no defense in the NBA? Because it's surely a different game, John. I watch basketball differently. I I religiously follow the Aztecs in college basketball. So I appreciate defense, right? And and you don't see it in the NBA. I find that, you know, I, I grew up as a Warriors fan and moved down here to San Diego with the Clippers for a while. But I've gotten to the point with the NBA where I root for players more so than I root for teams. And there are certain guys that I like to follow, a lot of the ex-Aztecs particularly. Um, So when I watch an NBA game, I have a completely different mindset than when I'm watching a college game. Because when the college game is on, I'm wearing my Aztec gear. I am all in. Uh, But NBA is is definitely a more of a – maybe a lighter – fan uh, situation where I'm, I'm more in it for the, the entertainment as opposed to the sport. You know, those counseling that could help you with your shortcomings. Yes. <laughs> uh, I sit there and I watch the NBA game. I watch a lot. Uh, and I sit there and I, I appreciate the greatness of Nikola Jokic, the Joker in Denver. Oh, big time. But he's all offense. And I, I obviously, I appreciate the greatness of Kevin Durant. And obviously what we got here in the backyard with the Lakers, with LeBron and Anthony Davis. But I don't see a hell of a lot of effort defensively to slow anybody down. It's just a different game. And I don't know if it's a good game. Uh, some, some of the NBA games, some of the NBA teams are just flat, unwatchable. So I'll be fascinated. You're a basketball fan. You like French pastry? Do you like, <laughs> you like what the NBA has become? Think about that. All-time scoring records about to be shattered everywhere across the NBA. Speaking of getting shattered, we go from that to hockey. Yeah, the NHL and fighting. What's going on here, Lee? Well, I came up in the slap shot era, and fighting was part of the game, and fighting unfortunately overtook the game, and the the league really had to make some changes. We have had four bad incidents of fights and brawls in about the last 10 days in the league. Some have involved the Flyers, some have involved the Bruins, the Rangers, the Ottawa Senators, etc. This week is the anniversary of the all-time worst brawl in the history of the NHL. It's 2003, Flyers, Ottawa Senators, 419 penalty minutes. Everybody fought. And, of course, (laughs) that led to an onset of rules that um, we're going to have the instigator penalty. We're going to have match penalties if a guy gets hurt. You can't come off the bench as a third man in if there's a fight on the ice. We've eradicated the bench clearers. But all of a sudden— I saw it last spring during the playoffs, the first and second round. There were all these violent fights for the sake of violent fights. I didn't understand it. And we've had four really bad fights with open ice hits that led to retaliation on the ice. 
NHL released a statistic. This year, there have been 219 fights so far. Uh, The season is like 55, 60 games in. That's not in excess of 219 fights. In 2003, the, the worst year ever, there were 789 fights. This year, there's 219. Fighting is down 200%. But then... It's what the people are saying in the game. Rick Tockett, the coach of the Vancouver Canucks, was asked about it the other night, and he's got a first-place team in the NHL Western Conference. He says, we still have to have it, fighting. And Tockett was a tough guy. He was a grinder and a forward and stood up for his teammates. We still have to have it. Gary Bettman, the president, says, fighting acts as a thermostat when tensions boil over. He says, you have to have fighting to restore peace. But this is Gary Bettman, who also said there's no link between fighting, concussions, and CTE. So I I question that. This is the weirdest one. 98% of the players who took part in a Players Association poll do not support the elimination of fighting. He said, you need players to police the game if somebody takes a liberty with your star player. And that's, that's the way the NHL used to be. You touch Wayne Gretzky, you're going to have to answer to Marty McSorley. Mm -hmm. But it didn't stop guys from getting hammered. Paul Correa of the Anaheim Mighty Ducks lost his career because of a concussion because it took a couple of late hits. And doesn't matter how many guys retaliated on his behalf. But there's just this mentality that players will police their own game on the ice when other guys take liberty. The era of everybody's got two goons has kind of gone away because of the the NHL salary cap, but you do have gritty, tough guys, and there's still there's still junk going on in some games where I say that's not good. There there was a horrible fight between the Rangers and Flyers last week involving this Ranger rookies fighting everybody, and I went I I was offended. A couple of Canadian journalists went on Twitter and made a comment, and I said. NHL does not need this to sell the greatness of the sport. And I said, by the way, the estimated time of arrival, uh, arrival of these guys getting CTA is 10 years from now. Oh, yeah. it, was, it was just a brutal fight of head blows. And head blows lead to concussions. Concussions lead to CTE. I don't care if Gary Bettman doesn't think it does because I live in the National Football League and I've seen it firsthand. So you tell me, do we need fighting in the NHL? Is it a better game, a worse game? Do we need it because the players have to police other guys who take liberties with the star players? You don't need fighting, but it's going to happen. I mean, it's going to happen in any sport. It's you know? tolerated. Well, but that's the difference into the NHL is usually a fight will break out and the first few seconds of it, you're like, okay, it's a fight, you know, but then it's like the refs really kind of stand back and they let this fight become a spectacle. Like Until it's, it becomes lopsided, then they jump in. But it's like World Wrestling Federation, you know, it's, it's like they allow it to happen for the entertainment value for the fans so they can get all excited about a fight. Is it, that good? Why does, why does the NHL? You know, we're going to go to the old Canada line in a minute. I'm sure everybody north of the border who's now part of our podcast, they're going to have an opinion. But why does the NHL need to sell that? The NHL's got great players, had great goaltenders, the European invasion. Why do we need the 23rd guy on the roster to be a thug and beat the crap out of the other guy's 23rd guy with the risk that these guys can have? Yeah, it's it's, it's stupid. It's foolish. It's an old school thing. But I think that... You know, the, the rookie that came into the league that's been getting in fights with everyone, you know, everyone knows who this guy is now, puts their name on the map. But 
I mean, to me, it, it, it at first it seems legit and authentic as a fight, but then very quickly it turns into a cartoon. And, and I, I don't really find it very enjoyable to watch at all. You're talking to somebody that came out of the Eastern Hockey League, which was one of the, the slapshot league mm-hmm. where fights were commonplace. And I didn't like it then. And now that we know the inherent dangers, what happens up oh, here. Oh, for sure. It just it, it turns me off. Hey, hockey hotline fans, jump on board. We'll be getting to fans forum just briefly. Do we need fighting outlawed in the NHL? Does it make it a better game or not? Somebody jump on. You think we'll have a few people from Canada want to join us in that conversation? I'm sure we will. Last topic on the table. All right. Yeah. Let's go to the High Speed Sportswire League. Got some breaking news. This is interesting. The National Football Association, the Players Association, the union, hands out a survey at the end of the second half of the season to all their players. And like 80% of the players responded in the survey and they rated all all the organizations as to the job they do on behalf of their players. That includes training facilities. That includes dietitians. That includes weight rooms. That includes equipment. That includes travel, hotels, accommodations, things of that. Uh, Miami Dolphins, Minnesota Vikings were rated number one in the NFL by the players for how they treat their players to get them ready, to get them nice. healthy, what they do for them. This will shock you. The worst one was the Washington Commanders, which have crap facilities. They've had a lousy owner. That's all changed now in the last calendar year. Washington was last at 32nd. Do you know who's 31st? Kansas City. Really? The Chiefs. Amazing. They gave a letter grade of F to the Chiefs' ownership, the Hunt family, which is Really? Tremendous reputation. Yeah. Spectacular people in the community. They gave them an F because the facilities are bad. Uh, the dietitian rules are ridiculous. Uh, they don't like the travel, the quarters, the whole, the meeting rooms, the equipment rooms, the weight rooms, the sauna. They gave them an F on virtually every category. Wow. Just absolutely amazing. And the third worst, your chargers. Really? Yeah. They gave they give the Spanos family well, D's almost that, across the board. Maybe that's not surprising. <laughs> but they gave they gave the Hunt family F's, which just kind of really that's a surprising blew me away. Okay, that's one topic. Next topic, NFL rule change. This has just surfaced at the combine, and evidently this is going to happen. They're going to change the kickoff rule again in the National Football League. They're going to, uh, we believe, it's going to be voted on at the spring meetings. They're going to have a, a one year experiment radically change the kickoffs. You know, they move the kickoffs up to try to stop all the violent collisions with guys returning kickoffs. And what happened is we had a ton more touchbacks. We had a a, a lot more fair catches. And guys still got hurt who were trying to run kicks back. The XFL, the spring lead, had an experiment in which John Riley's kicking off to Hacksaw. Mm-hmm. You're at my 35-yard line. That's where the kickoff is. I'm, my lead blockers are at my 30-yard line, just five yards away from you. Oh, wow. You know, you say, why the hell would do that? The guy kick it in the end zone, it's touchback. Well, you don't want to touch back because the ball comes out to 35. Mm-hmm. So you, you pooch kick it, sky kick it, whatever. But the guys at the line of scrimmage cannot move until the ball has been caught by me. Hmm. And then guys will block and guys can start to rush towards me as I try to take it back from the five-yard line. Interesting. So this it sounds weird. It sounds like it's just really rigged. What they're trying to do is stop the horrors of the injuries of the collisions. Yeah. And they have more injuries on kick and punt returns 
blindside blocks, knees, that whole thing, than they do on any other line of scrimmage play. Now, it'd be absurd for you to be standing at my 35 and you're going to kick it to me, but your guys can't move, my blockers can't move, until I catch the ball at the goal line of five and start to bring it out. So you're not having these guys going full tilt bozo all the way down the field with the violent collisions. I know it's absurd to me, but that's that's what's being discussed. King James, Lakers, Clippers. Last night, I don't know if anybody saw this, LeBron James went off for 24 points in the fourth quarter. Hmm. LeBron outscored the Clippers in the fourth quarter. Wow. Clippers blew a 21-point lead in L.A., lost to the Lakers. LeBron was just beyond himself, hitting threes, taking it to the basket. When they doubled him, he dished it to the corner. Lakers kept hitting threes. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal comeback. Only counts as one win. He played an exhaustive, I think, 41 minutes. But, boy, LeBron, 24 in the fourth quarter, just amazing. Japanese, Shohei Otani. World's going crazy. You know, hits a home run in his first game with the Dodgers, went one for three. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's 70 credentialed Japanese-Korean media at Camelback Ranch. They photograph every move. They chart everything he does. In the middle of the night, last night, he sends out, I guess via Instagram to Tokyo, announcing as he's going for his first ring with the Dodgers, that he has a ring. He got married. Oh. The Japanese media went crazy. Oh, I'll bet they did. In the middle of the night. Yeah. This was in the middle of the night, our time, 4 o'clock in the afternoon back in Tokyo, where the story breaks. Every network TV newscast led with Otani got married. Really? This story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a really, really cool story. He's unique. He's really unique. And then there's Jerry Jones. And boys, he got he got problems. Jerry's Jerry. He has been ordered by a judge to undergo DNA paternity testing Uh to see if he's the father of a 27-year-old woman in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Jerry, quote, back in the day, had a relationship with a woman who gave birth. Jerry has provided for this 27-year-old financially for academics, going to college, getting multiple degrees, etc. But she's suing him to get him to admit he was the father, that it was a wedlock birth. Now, the theory is he doesn't want to do that because that opens him up maybe to more litigation in which this 27-year-old woman would want a piece of whom he is, mm-hmm. Jerry's world and the team and the states. But the judge ordered he has to have a paternity test. So Jerry's got stuff off the field in addition to stuff on the field with his quarterback, Dak Prescott, <laughs> and contract and, and free agency. Johnny threw a lot of topics up there. Boy, a lot, of, a lot of stories to talk about. Where do you want to go? Well, first of all, I want to talk about the NFL kickoff because I agree that it's, 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 it's uh, ripe for you know horrible injuries. Why not just get rid of the thing entirely? I mean, what if they just started every series on the 20-yard line? It's I mean, been discussed, but that people still think there's an exciting explosiveness to that that type of play. They're just trying to stop the collisions. But it seems that every time I watch the kickoff, 80% of the time they kick it past the end zone. <laughs> and then if they don't, they usually fair catch it around the 10-yard line or something. And it goes out to where it's supposed to go out to rather than mm-hmm. – but the, this, this is they put the ball in play, but you can't move down the field. So the return man has a chance to really haul it back. Yeah, because you just got blockers on blockers and you can create seams. And here's the return man coming up the field without having all this gunfire coming at him. 
Well, you know, just a bit of a tangent on a punt when they call the uh, the fair catch. Mm-hmm. I remember it used to be that if you call the fair catch inside Space. the 10, yeah. it was considered bad, you know, because that's more likely going to be a touchback. But now they catch it. Why? Stupid players. But it seems that it's just generally accepted. I mean, even if it's inside the 20, sometimes it might be worth it to let the ball go. Well, if it's a 10, it should be able to bounce into the end zone. Right. But, uh, yeah, it is is weird. This year, I looked at it and said, why are you doing this? And you're standing at the seven-yard line. Now, yeah. But the gunners get down. The, the, I mean, the fastest guys on the team are the outside gunners in kick coverage. Mm-hmm. And they get there. And so if the ball bounces sideways, boom, guy downs it. If it takes a high bounce, guy pins it at the one-yard line. So, right. uh, it, But I, rookies, rookies do it more than anybody else. Why are you fielding a punt inside the seven-yard line? <laughs> so what, what do you think about Otani? Isn't that amazing? It, it is amazing. What did he do, sneak off to Vegas or something? Or? I don't, he didn't, didn't detail who, yeah. didn't de- detail when. He just said, we did it. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he is, you know, Mr. Everything in Japan, right? Yep. I mean, he's not just an athlete. He's a sensation. So, yeah, good on him. You know, if he's happy, he's content with his family life, you know, that's going to settle well for the the Dodgers, I think. Right? Amazing. Nobody in Japan knew anything about Ukraine, Gaza, <laughs> Trump. But you would think he's got to be the most eligible bachelor in Japan for a while now. Past tense. Yeah, you know, past tense. $700 billion deal no, or million-dollar deal. The network's led with this. Every, there's like six different national news networks in oh, Japan. Yeah. That was the lead story on every one. And the papers, all front page of the papers. Otani oh, and pictures. And, yeah. Well, I mean, you see the way the media shows up for batting practice. Yeah. I mean, it's not surprising. It's just a different culture there. And I think it's cool. On we go. Time for Fans Forum. A reminder, our podcast is brought to you by North County Eye Center of Poway and Escondido. We all need help with our eyes, whether it's vision test or something much more important like cataracts or glaucoma. Consider them North County Eye Center, Poway, and Escondido. And by Dixieline Lumber and Home Stores, nine locations to serve you in San Diego. Whether it's the kitchen, whether it's the bathroom, whether it's tiles, whether it's bookcases, whether it's stuff outside around the pool or on the patio, think Dixieline Lumber and Home Center. John, it's all your fault. These are all your guys lined <laughs> up. Are. I can't believe how many people. We might be going from now till Saturday morning if we took all the fans forum questions, but get started. Okay, let's go here. Let's talk a little NHL. Hey, this is from Kevin. Will the Pittsburgh Penguins trade Jake Gensel? He's hurt, and that's a big issue. Uh, does have a high price tag. Uh, they're shopping him, but they've been shopping him since last year before he got hurt. NHL trade deadline is next week. We had the first monster trade last night uh, with the Dallas Stars. Got Chris Tanoff, the big defenseman from Calgary, and a, a three-team, six-player and pick uh, draft pick deal. Uh, but there, there will be trades. The Ducks are shopping at least two of their guys. I don't know if the Kings are going to move anybody off their roster because some of these guys I'd like to move got big contracts track values and I don't think they're going to be able to do that but last year at the trade deadline I went back and checked there were 37 trades at the trade deadline wow. in March so they're, they're thinking that maybe we're going to bust that record and every year the trade deadline in hockey has gotten bigger and bigger it's kind of become what baseball used to be. Yeah, I just love that. I mean, just when your team has a chance to kind of change direction, change course, I mean, it can just make your season or break it. So if you're a hockey fan, especially all those on the O Canada line, uh, if you go to my website, I wrote a column today about rebuilding Anaheim Ducks, the impact on our American Hockey League team, San Diego Gulls. 
read it. One man's opinion. It's on my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Move on. Okay, let's talk NFL and Broncos. This is from Ed. He says, Russell Wilson was a huge bust. Pete Carroll didn't drop him for nothing. Turned out to be a good deal uh, for Seattle because they got multiple draft picks and they got two starters out of the trade and the ability to draft some other young guys. Uh, You know, Russell Wilson's been dinged up the last two years. Just doesn't look like the same quarterback right now. Uh, I Denver Denver paid a steep price and then gave him a mega contract, Ed, and I think it's going to haunt the Broncos. I don't know how Sean Payton's going to be able to get himself out of this hole with this quarterback. Somebody else will take him uh, only because once Denver eats the contract, you can sign Russell Wilson to a $1.5 million contract if you were the Raiders. And he'd play this year under that term because Denver's paying the rest of the contract. But is he the fit? Is he a short-term rental? Is he a long-term guy? I don't think he's long-term, but maybe in the right situation he can still play. But he played better last year under Sean Payton than he did the year prior under the disaster. There was Nathaniel Hackett as head coach in Denver, but the best part of his career is probably behind him. And, geez, $39.7 million. (laughs) Which is a horrible trade. I mean, how, how, how does that Payton guy still have a job? Job. I concur with you. Um, but Russell Wilson, how old is he? See, 32, 34. But he, yeah. you know, he's been in the league a long time, and it was only until the last two years before he started to get some injuries and started to catch up to him. Yeah, that's what it feels like to me. That, yeah, we, they need to turn the page on that guy. He doesn't look like the same quarterback anymore. I, I watch him closely in the pocket. We move on. Okay, let's go here to um, Bruce says, what about the Chiefs owner ranking by the NFLPA? I was a little surprised. Now, now Kansas City has had just announced a $600 million renovation upgrade at Arrowhead Stadium. That was announced just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and, and, you know, chief players had to know that that, that was in, in the pot and this was going to come. But yet, they're, you know, the, the question is, would give us a letter grade about food preparation and dietitian help. They were giving them an F's. <laughs> uh, uh, cleanliness of your training camp, your, your workout facilities, F. Your weight room, is it up to date in terms of modern equipment, F. I mean, they gave, gave Clark Hunt and his family just F's in a whole ton of categories. So it's obvious older stadium needs to be renovated and the Chiefs are going ahead and they're going to do a lot of this. Wow. I mean, it's almost like you ever heard of the website Glassdoor? Yes. And, you know, so it's kind of like a glass door, but for the NFL, uh, where where the employees can rank their employer. Dude, radio's lucky they didn't get mine. <laughs> Yeah, the mighty 690 and 1090, they'd be hearing from you. Um, yeah, I, it, it's interesting, though, but facilities everywhere have just turned into these Taj Mahals. Sure. I, mean, I mean, I was watching one of those uh, um, stories about the uh, Man, Man City, you know, and kind of their behind the scenes. You see their workout facilities, and I mean, it's top notch. State of the art, state of the art. Oh, yeah, for sure. But a lot of these clubs do work on it. It's not something that can get done with a snap of the fingers overnight because, A, it's unbelievably expensive to do mass renovation be it you got to go through all the logistics of laws codes and all that stuff well isn't this a new arrowhead didn't they just recently rebuild it uh they rebuilt in the early 2000s okay so it's 20 years old and i mean it was it was great to begin with then it got old and then i was in there right after uh they had completed i think it was a quarter of a billion dollars in renovation it was really impressive but again that goes back, as you say, two decades. Yeah. Wow. Carry on. Carrying on. Okay. Let's talk about the the quarterbacks. Derek says, Jamarcus Purple drank Russell. Oh. 
with the amount of money you have to invest in quarterbacks, and this is my indictment of, of Al Davis and the Raiders. I've been very critical who they became and how they acted and what the hell was on their roster and why would you pay this guy that amount? The amount of money you have to invest in a quarterback back in the day, Derek, how you could not do better investigation of the player and the person is very different now in the National Football League. But yeah, I mean, we here in San Diego are biased because Ryan Leaf in that era was such a bum and hurt the Chargers so badly. Jamarcus Russell might even be worse than anybody else we ever imagined. And then maybe modern day, maybe Vince Young is right behind them. Uh, and again, because these were top-of-the-line quarterbacks. We're not talking about somebody that was the 29th pick or somebody in the second round. We're talking about the guy that got all the money because he was the market guy at the top of the board. Wow. I, I just remember Jamarcus Russell. The fans were hating on him. Huh. Like I think he was like overweight in camp, and, and he's supposed to be this you know athletic prize, and he was just such a disaster. But it was just... You know, it was just the Raiders, you know, it's just the Raiders being Raiders. That's and their history of draft, even more modern times. I went back and looked at three straight drafts after John Gruden got hired and he was making the decisions. He had nine picks, first, second, third round, three years in a row, all washed out. Really? This is John Gruden. And this is modern day evaluation. And you're still making the monster mistakes. You screw the draft up, not just one year, you do a couple years in a row. It devastates you because of the salary cap. Well, don't you think John Gruden was kind of more bravado and shtick than he was legit? You were impressed because he was on your TV. Yeah, yeah. He sounded great. Well, so did Matt Millen. That didn't work out either. (laughs) No, it didn't. Okay, we carry on. All right, let's go to Phyllis here. She says, I feel badly for the folks who support the L.A. Kings. Don't know what it'll take to get PLD going, but I don't think he'd realize that people in L.A. are going to be watching him. Everybody's watching him. Everybody's saying can't believe what this guy's become. PLD is uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, who the Kings paid quite a price to get from Winnipeg. Winnipeg paid quite a price to get him from Columbus. And I watched the Kings game the other night. I think it went to overtime. So I think he had 24 minutes ice time, which is a lot for a big guy. He had one shot. He's making $8 million a year. He had one shot on goal in an overtime game, the whole game. It's just absolutely stunning. But they have the contract. They're stuck with the contract. Gabe Volardi and those guys are playing really well in Winnipeg. By the way, the Jets are in first place. You know, when is Dubois going to wake up and realize it's not the club that's got the problem? It's you who got the problem. So if you're an L.A. sports fan, okay, and you've got all the NFL and the NBA and the college teams and Major League Baseball— how do you rank them in terms of fan interest? So the Dodgers won, Lakers won, and where do the Kings rank? I would rank? say Dodgers won, Lakers are one. It's a tie. And then after that, it dropped, It really drops off. It's, it's probably the Rams are right there. I would, I would have to say back in the day, uh, Clippers were horrible. Clippers are probably now in the top four. I would say USC, UCLA, but both their football programs are not quite what they were before. You got the Chargers. The Kings have been held in high regard thanks to Wayne Gretzky. Uh, the Ducks are no longer the Ducks are in just just a terrible, massive rebuild. If you're a hockey fan, go read my column today and you can tell me whether you agree or disagree with that, my one man's opinion column. But uh, yeah, the LA, LA market really is is emotionally controlled by the Dodgers and Lakers. And why not? Look at the success and the heritage of those franchises going back to the Lakers when they came from Minneapolis 
and when the Dodgers came from Brooklyn and Ebbets Field and, and the quality that they put on the field. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's what makes the Chargers there such a disgrace. But, yeah, I think I would have the Kings definitely above the Chargers. Not quite as high as the Clippers, but very close. Okay, we carry on. We carry on. Okay, let's go here to Kelvin. And he says the Raiders should trade up into the top three. The hell with giving up draft picks. The problem is if if the Raiders are going to trade up, when you try to go from 13, uh, if you're looking for a quarterback, you really need to be inside the top five to get one of those marquee guys. Mm -hmm. But to go from 13 to five, you're going to have to give up your one. You're probably going to have to give up a three and one out of three is a steep price. And then maybe you have to throw a player in, or maybe it's a one, a three, and a five. Uh, there, there's a trade chart that Jimmy Johnson developed that puts a point rating on every pick in every round. So if, if, if you're trading to get the third pick, that might have a point valuation of 45 points. Well, you're going to have to give up 45 points worth of talent from the Raiders, whether that's draft choices or veteran players. To be able to signify, I, I'm going to go get the, the third, fourth, or fifth pick. But the problem we've got is everybody at the top needs quarterbacks. Now, Chicago doesn't need one. they got Justin Fields, but they may trade Justin Fields, and they take Caleb Williams. And then you got Washington. They desperately need a quarterback. And then post-Belichick era, they need a quarterback at three. So the top three quarterbacks could go one, two, three. So even if you're at four or if you're at five like the Chargers are, you might not be able to to get a trade partner because the top three guys might well all be off the board. Well, Bo Nick should be there at 13, right? Oh, I think so. And then, So if you stay at 13, then you really have to do the evaluation. Is Bo Nick a systems guy or is can he win for you at the NFL level? And what do you think about the Washington quarterback, Michael Penix? And then where does J.J. McCarthy come into all this debate? Who he is, is he the guy, or is it just he was the guy because everybody around him was so good at Michigan? So that's why you do this in-depth evaluation, which drives you crazy when you say, how the hell can you make a mistake on Ryan Leaf or Jamarcus Russell or Vince Young? How do you, how do you make that kind of catastrophic mistake? But, you know, it's it's funny. Is you could do all the homework in the world and still blow the pick. I mean, it's, it is a certain randomness to it all. But clearly, the, the, the Raiders overlooked the shortcomings of Jamarcus Russell, as did the Chargers with Leaf. They're not going to let a guy like that slip through now, right? No, I, you better not make a mistake at the top. Mm-hmm. And at this point in time, not many people do. Okay, let's go to Angel talking Padres. He says, Padres should make one last attempt at Blake Snell. No one expected the Cubs to re-sign Cody Bellinger, so anything's possible. If not, the Padres, well, the Angels should go after Blake. They need him. Well, the only thing is the Padres only have $18 million budget space left. They can't go over the luxury tax for a fourth year in a row because of the sanctions, and you lose international money. And draft picks. If you're a fourth-time offender, and the Padres had done it under probably three straight years above the tax level, you know, they just paid a $40 million check to the commissioner's office to pay last year's luxury tax. And Blake Snell's not coming here for 18. Blake Snell goes somewhere for 30, and maybe it's on a a three-year deal with opt-outs. But as we just talked about, one of the issues they've got is if, if you take Blake Snell, if you're a Yankee, uh, you're not going to give him opt-outs to let him go back in the market. You can't afford to have the guy leave after one year or two years because you're paying a massive 110% luxury tax if you're the Yankees on Snell, and you're giving up draft pick compensation. You, you just can't do it. 
from a business standpoint. So that's that's where we are. I I don't know if this is on Boris and Snell that maybe they should have signed earlier when there was more money available, more clubs. But if their price has always been thirty mil and it was five to six or seven years, that really limits the field. Now it's even more limited because the Yankees and Mets, for example, have spent a chunk of the money that was available. So, so who's left? I mean, if not the Yankees, then is well, it the you Angels? Got the Giants and, and Angels, and that's it, right? If Snell's willing to come for three years, ninety mil. Okay, but if Boris says, "Okay, we'll take the shorter term," but you got to give me a Bellinger contract, which is an opt out after year one or year two, right? But the Angels, the Angels say, "Why am I doing that? I'm losing draft picks to rent him for one year, and he's, he's going to walk." No, hmm. and the same thing with the Giants. Maybe something will change, but at this point. Those are the parameters of, of the teams with the shorter contract offers versus the Yankee contract offer, and it's all got linkage to opt-outs, and it's all got linkage to luxury tax penalties, et cetera. Yeah, we're running out of time. <laughs> Moving on, let's go to Steve talking NHL. He says, fans hate Gary Bettman. Um, he needs to step down. He's the worst commissioner. By the way, send the Coyotes to a new city. Watching an NHL team in a college arena is an utter joke. Well, the whole thing has been a disaster in Arizona ever since they moved Timo Solani and the Winnipeg Jets to Phoenix. They've had facility problems all the time. They've gone, I don't know how many owners. This might be the third or fourth owner uh, that the Arizona Coyotes have now since they moved from Winnipeg. Uh, Gary Bettman was in Winnipeg this week to meet with uh, Mark Chipman, the owner of the Jets. And the dialogue was about the the terrible attendance that Winnipeg has. The dialogue was the erosion of their season ticket base. And all Gary Bettman would offer was, Winnipeg, you've got to support your team. You need to fill the arena. We don't need 13,300 fans per game. You need 15,000. By the way, your team is in first place. So the league is not going to jump in and solve the Winnipeg crisis. It has to come from Jet fans in the province of Manitoba. It's a proud proud franchise and it's a great regional franchise the arizona situation he's only keeping the franchise there because it's 3.5 million people that live in the valley of the sun i used to live and work in phoenix it's a great sports marketplace but they don't have an arena and i'm sitting here i mean i my wife's canadian (laughs) you know quebec city new arena market unto itself can you imagine Quebec Nordique, Montreal Canadiens, Ottawa Senators, Toronto Maple Leafs think there's a little angst when they play each other in the Battle of Eastern Canada? They need a franchise. But there is talk Houston. That's all based on the massive size of the Houston market. There's talk of Atlanta. But Atlanta failed twice with the Flames and the Thrashers. There is talk Salt Lake City. That'd be a virgin market. That'd be kind of interesting. It'd be a regional franchise. But you got to build an arena, and that's not going to happen by two weeks from Monday. So I, I just think the Coyotes need to be extracted because that market in Phoenix, too saturated. you got Diamondbacks, World mm-hmm. Series, pal. Mm-hmm. Suns, pretty good franchise. Arizona State still carries a lot of clout. Uh, and the NFL Arizona Cardinals, which have been up and down. So the market's kind of saturated. I'd take the thing to Quebec City. I mean, you could argue with me, but you'd be wrong. I know hockey. <laughs> well, there's a lot of teams that would love to have him, and clearly Phoenix doesn't seem to want him. But I want to go back to the Winnipeg comments with Gary Bettman because it's always a bad look when the commissioner is shaming the fans. And it reminds me of uh, here in San Diego when they said no more Super Bowls until San Diego builds a new stadium. Was that Tagliabue? I was there when that happened. I was aghast that he would say that in front of that, the commissioner's press conference after this community had done so much to build the expanded seats at that stadium. And then he has the gall 
to come out and kind of insult the community after what the community did to expand, was it Jack Murphy Stadium at that time or Qualcomm Stadium? What a terrible thing to say. Yeah, that was awful. Just awful. Let's move on. Let's get some NHL comments here. There's two questions. I want to put them side by side. Derek Derek says, I'd rather see McDavid score (laughs) than have to fight. Get rid of it. And then Ed says, keep fighting in the NHL. It protects the stars, and it's exciting for fans. Well, it gets exciting for fans. I understand it. We don't have as many, quote, cement heads on NHL rosters now because of the salary cap and all of that. I view it from a little bit different perspective. I spent my whole career in hockey. Uh, that's where I started as a broadcaster and, and, and wound up in, in Cleveland and then obviously came out here to do NFL football. But at the end of the day, it's a different world we live in. And we now know fighters get concussions. Concussions leads to CTE. The bra- Bob Proberts of the world. You don't want players committing suicide because they've lost their ability mentally because of injuries are inflected in fights, whether that's the National Football League or dropping the gloves and doing it in hockey. There's a residual offshoot now of guys who get hurt in fights and what it does to them long term. It's a great game. I don't think we need to sell brawls anymore to make the NHL move to the forefront of people's attention. I just think the inherent danger of players, to me, to me, is a turnoff. I hate, I hate to see it. I saw the video of the Ranger Flyers fights this past week. It kind of made me sick to my stomach. We don't need that in the game. I know Canadian fans, oh Canada line, you can tell me I'm full of crap, and maybe you're back in old time hockey, but there's such a residual problem now from this being allowed to happen. You know, it's interesting when you look at the fights in all the different sports. You know, in, in, in NHL, it's part of the game. It's part of the, the spectacle of it all. In Major League Baseball, it's it's kind of weirdly entertaining when they kind of run out from the bullpen. Yeah, hold just, me back so I don't get hurt. Yeah, they just need to make an appearance that they have their guys back. But the NFL doesn't seem to have as much. They police it pretty heavy for oh, fights. You throw a punch. A, you're out of the game. B, you're going to get fined. Maybe you're going to get suspended. So, mm-hmm. and, and the NBA, they do have flare-ups on the court. But, man, they deal with those guys immediately. You know, and we start talking five or seven-game suspensions that if you recall the Detroit Pistons, the bad boys, mm-hmm. malice in the palace, <laughs> yeah. where the players went into the stands, you don't want that in the NBA. So some of the other sports have really clamped on it, but there's there's just this mentality that – it's part of the NHL game, so we should – and the players need to police it. Well, there's not that much of the stuff going on to be, to be policed. And, you know, we had the terrible cross-check incident with the Ottawa Senators a couple of weeks ago, which led to a big suspension of Morgan Riley of the Maple Leafs. Nobody jumped him. Now, there, there's an ideology that you hurt my player in Ottawa with a cross-check to the head after he scored an empty goal, and not one Ottawa player – on the ice, responded to Riley, like should have pulled, pulled him with a cross check himself. Mm-hmm. Nobody did that. There was a little bit of a scrum, but nobody came in, stick up to nail this guy after he had nailed your guy. But I just, I, I understand what it was. I didn't like it then. Now we know what happens if you get badly hurt. And don't tell me it doesn't happen because guys do suffer significant head injuries in fights. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Big time. I'm I'm surprised that they let it last this long. Again, to me, it feels 
bizarre. You know, it's it doesn't feel like it's authentic fighting. It's, it, well, but it is because guys get hurt. You break your hand throwing a punch hitting a helmet and you're out for six weeks. Now, how stupid is that? What'd you accomplish? Yeah, well, it, it is dumb. I mean, especially when these guys are getting paid. You don't want to be sacrificing your career. So um, let's uh, let's kind of roll over here to social media because we just got a ton of comments and questions over there as well. And uh, let's go here to... Um, let's talk a little bit about B enemy and you and UCLA. And he says here, uh, from Fittish Moose, Reed, Andy Reed is done just fine without him. He was a good coordinator in a great situation. The Washington ordeal showed who he really is. The foster hire was great, but this move is a reach. I don't know if it's a reach because I think he's got a proven accomplished list of things. Andy Reed let him do a lot of a lot of things, including developing the game plan. And he coached quarterbacks and he coached wide receivers. He coached them really hard. He made them really good football players. The Washington Commanders thing was an aberration. He walked into a three-mile island mess. They haven't had a quarterback in a long time in Washington. It was a lame duck situation. They didn't have a lot of pieces offensively, so they were just treading water, and they threw the rookie quarterback, Sam Howell, from North Carolina in there. He played most of the games. He threw touchdowns. He threw picks. He took 69 sacks. 69 sacks because the team was so bad. So I don't think it was as much on Eric Bieniemy as it was an organizational thing, but he's got great street cred as a recruiter. He was at UCLA before he kind of got his coaching career kicked into high gear, and he's an L.A. guy. Uh, so he's going to do a great job as recruiting coordinator and assistant head coach, and he'll get some more players in there, which will help Deshaun Foster. And like I said weeks ago when they promoted Foster, I was a little surprised he was the guy, but they did it because he was popular and they tried to hold the roster together. So not one guy's gone into the transfer portal since Foster's been hired, and you don't see that in today's college football. But I said at the point when Foster got elevated, they got to go get veteran coordinators. Well, I think they did well getting Eric Bieniemy. How do you think Biennemi feels about this? I mean, do you think this is a step down? This is a little humble pie? I think it's it's a combination. I think he was frustrated that he had, he might have had, I want to say, 13 interviews to be a head coach over three years. Never got hired. We don't know why. Some said bad interview. Some say limited because he wasn't a play caller. But he was a play designer. He was an X and O's guy. Uh, I, it was a little bit... But you know what? He's such a proud African-American. I like him. I mean, I knew him pretty well when he was a running back with the Chargers coming out of Colorado. I think he'll do a good job there. And who knows? He does a good job. He might be somebody's college head coach, if not an NFL coach. So good hire. They needed unique set of credentials. I think they got one with Eric Bieniemy. All right, let's move on. Let's go talk here about some the Angels. And this is from Matt. And he says, free agents aren't the answer. Trade trout for prospects. Invest heavily in the farm system and start a complete overhaul. The Angel fans need to realize that if the DH rule was allowed when Otani first came over, he would have been a Dodger to begin with. Well, Otani was a great acquisition for six years. Um, trout is a great player who is now 32 years of age and unfortunately last two years has really had some significant injuries but it's it's not that he's breaking down i mean guy runs into a fence guy suffers a hamstring injury guy gets beaned those are baseball plays um, you could trade trout you'd get a haul but i'll tell you then the, the rebuilding process is going to take forever i mean you probably won't have a good team for five years I don't know that there's an answer, except that Artie Moreno is, and I did a podcast up in Anaheim the other night, Artie Moreno is $50 million beneath last year's budget. That's $50 million of players you could have signed 
would have n- never gone off the luxury tax. $50 million worth of talent you could have come in to complement what you got. I mean, there's no doubt they do have some young draft picks that they really like. They have a young shortstop, Zach Nito, who was force-fed last year, played well until he got hurt, playing well this spring. they got a, a good young catcher they got from the Red Sox, Logan Ohape. They've got some players. They don't have enough players. They don't have enough veteran players. They don't have enough pitching. You know, you should have spent some of that $50 million and gotten guys in here that could have complimented all the young guys while you're waiting for what's in the farm system. And they've drafted a ton of kids to see how many of those are going to blossom. So it's just a bad formula. And everybody resents Artie Moreno across the board. Well, just for fun, let's play this out. Let's just pretend that Artie wanted to trade Trout. Who could he trade him to? I mean, everyone, the big money teams are up against the salary cap. At this point, it's tough. Yeah. But I'm talking about winter baseball meetings. I'm talking about last October at the general manager's meetings. Mm -hmm. If, if, Trout would have waived his no-trade clause, and he said he wasn't. But if he, if he would have, you could have positioned him somewhere else and gotten, you know, Trout Yankee Stadium, Trout City Field. But now all that money's been spent, and nobody's going to take on a $32 million contract. Right, especially with the history of all the injuries and everything yeah. else. So, um, Okay, let's do one more here before we put a lid on it. Before we put a lid on let's talk about the bowl games. This is from Soul Todd. He says, hey, none of the bowl games mean anything anyway. Time to blow these exhibition games up. Well, it means a lot if you're at a program that's never really been to a bowl game and you finally build and got yourself a good team. You get excited. You know, when I, I did Arizona State Sun Devil football, we've been on probation for a long time. I, I got there as they were coming off probation. I'd gone through a lot of coaches. And and for us to get our first bowl bid, our bid was here at the Holiday Bowl. We played Arkansas. First time I've been to a bowl game in decade. And they had all this NCAA probation. And the head coach, Frank Cush, got fired. And they lost scholarships. It was a disaster. So it has meaning if you've never been to a bowl game. And the bowl people work really hard to put on a nice show. These people here at the Holiday Bowl, quote the Redcoats, they're tremendous citizens of the community. And you bring bring these teams in and they get to experience. And I'll guarantee you, pal, if your ass is in Iowa City in November and December, you get a chance to come to the Holiday Bowl in San Diego in December for Christmas, you come. So I think it has meanings. But if we're going to take 12 teams and in two years there's going to be 14 teams that are going to the playoffs, what does it do to the rest of the bowl games? John had the best idea. It's the only one he's had since I've known him. Uh, John said, let's make all the bowls. Give them the first round games, which yeah. would mean a holiday bowl would get one of the first round marquee games. That'd be cool because you'd be guaranteed for the most part of getting a really good team. And now now they they just came up with this proposal of a 14 team tournament that would start in 2026. But they're going to start guaranteeing a chunk of slots to the Big Ten and the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12. And there'll be hardly any other at large bids for the group of fives which is a, that to me becomes a problem because now you're screwing these people. So I'd like to see your idea works. Let's make the Holiday Bowl and the Citrus Bowl and some of these other bowls the first-round qualifiers. That way we're going to get some good games which have some importance. I wouldn't kill the bowl system, but the bowl system right now is, a little, is really teetering because it's all about big boy money and we're going to play in the playoffs. Yeah, it's just a vestige from the past, in my opinion. Uh, but like, go to one of the like the lesser bowls, like the Weed Whacker Bowl or the Pop Tarts oh, Bowl. Bowl. Hmm? I've been in the Sun Bowl in El Paso. That's kind of cool. But how many people actually go to that game? Do they they don't sell out the stadium, do they? Yeah, twenty five to thirty two, because that's all the stadium holds. Okay, but I mean, if you were to go to some of these other lesser bowl games, it's, oh, it seems the, like it's more for TV than it is for a live audience. Yeah. I mean, some of the bowls, Mobile Bowl, some of them they're drawing eighteen thousand, and you're watching the game and you see all you see is empty seats. Yeah. So so if you had in that, instead, it was like Georgia against 
I don't know, you know, Wyoming. I mean, it'd be a lopsided game, but they would sell it out. Yeah. So that's where we are. I'd I'd like to see, as John alluded to the other day, uh, I'd like to see the Holiday Bowl and all the other Tier 2 Bowls, the good ones, all get a chance to maybe host a first or second round game. That'd be cool. Yeah, much better than at home playoff games, you know? Just have them at the neutral sites. Exactly. Hey, listen, we hope you have enjoyed our podcast. We enjoy doing this. We're here Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific, Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific. Fans Forum is part of what we do. We invite you to subscribe. We invite you to share. Our podcast brought to you by North County Eye Center of Poway and Escondido. We all need help with our eyes. When that time comes, remember the name. I use them. You'll be pleased too. North County Eye Center and by Dixie Line Lumber Home Centers. Nine stores to serve you in San Diego. You got projects. These are the people to do business with. John, have a great sports weekend. We'll be back in here Monday. Yeah, I think we'll have a few more topics on the table to talk then. Yeah, well, happy leap year to you, Hacksaw. Uh, Thank you. And thanks for being with us on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.